What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Merry Christmas! What is this? Welcome to Neverland. Ho, 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 ho. Come in and know me better, man. Ho, ho. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some pixie dust around. Think up that beautiful, happy thought. And let's fly away to Neverland again. Yay! It's the second episode of Season 7. And we're kind of celebrating Christmas this month, but not really this episode. I guess we're not going to be that Christmassy today. (laughs) But unless you're... Are you feeling Christmassy, Eric? I am feeling Christmassy. I've got my Christmas decorations up. The tree is lit. Packages are, well, they're being purchased to be placed underneath the tree. But yes, I am definitely in the Christmas spirit. I'm trying to get there, but right now I'm still trying to unpack. So we, uh, we're we getting some, making some progress, but I want to put a tree up. And the, the, the comedy of this, and I should really take a photo and post it online of this. I, uh, I have one outlet on the outside of the house, and it's in the backyard. So I... I I'm a real homeowner now, so I bought a 100-foot extension cord that I could run from that cable all the way up to the front because I also bought myself a leaf blower slash mulcher. And so I ran that up there, and I plugged in some icicles that I had in the apartment that used to cover our entire balcony. Now I put them up, started at the corner, and it covered past the garage and, like, part of the living room in the front. So it's, like, maybe a third of the front of the house has lights on it. Hey, no problem. You know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, and I, the problem is the end of the icicles doesn't have a plug for me to plug any additional lights in, so it just uh, stops. <laughs> well, you know, at least you have a working outlet outside. I went to go plug in my lights, and uh, my outdoor outlet would not work, so I ended oh, up no. going through my garage. Oh, wow. Um, and then when my father-in-law stopped by for Thanksgiving, we were taking a look, and, you know, he was uh, playing around with all the, like, uh with the grid and we somehow found out that even though i thought the gfi was working it had been tripped oh but it's all good (laughs) it is all good just had to hit the right button exactly yeah i gotta get used to gfi because i got the gfi on that outside outlet i got a gfi now in the kitchen and i haven't had a gfi since i lived in my parents house (laughs) so it's been at least 16 and a half years Hey, it's a Christmas miracle, I'll tell you that. There you go. <laughs> my Christmas miracle will be when I find my... my nor- I had to buy a new outdoor digital remote uh, recorder. So for anyone who heard last week's episode where I was recording outdoors, I had a brand new recorder that's actually capable of stereo. So I hope you enjoyed the sound quality. Uh, but I can't find it in my flash drive to put my Christmas music on a flash drive to put it in the car. So Pandora has been my friend for some Christmas music. Excellent, excellent. I myself have been delving into the wonders of Apple Music, so uh, that's yes. been keeping us company. Yeah, and uh, apparently you uh, can listen to the Mandalorian soundtrack on the Apple, one episode at a time. Yep, yep. They're, they've actually got uh, all five episodes up there now. 
My goodness. Can and, you, uh, can you they, purchase they, it for Keeper? Is it streaming? You know, it is streaming, but I've been told that they're also available on Spotify. Nice. I'm going to have to check it out because I, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to the music, but uh, there's definitely a nice style to it's, it's It's a little bit of Western feel, yet it almost still has that Star Wars universe feel, but it's like it's very, very different. Kind of like the series itself. It's and I, I hadn't realized how much of the man with no name it really is from the old Clint Eastwood oh, yes. trilogy, because even I hadn't realized it until I was listening to the soundtrack show when he mentioned that Clint Eastwood in uh, for a few dollars more is called Manco. Sound like really? Mando. <laughs> hmm. There you go. Well, I'm just loving the series oh, as yes. a whole. And, you know, just, just the whole Western and the samurai feel to it has yes. just been fantastic. Love it, love it, love it. So That's my new favorite character as well. So <laughs> I have heard, you know, uh, there's a few people that, that like it, but they're not quite loving it. And they have, I think, pretty justifiable uh, things. I, one one comment I've heard is that the, the, the writing on episode four felt a little lazy because we've seen the typical thing where a village is getting bullied and here comes the hero to come and teach the village how to fight. We've seen that before. And I was like, well, that's true. But the same person who I was talking to mentioned it, it reminded him too much of The Magnificent Seven, which Magnificent Seven based off The Seven Samurai, which is a Kurosawa movie, which inspired George Lucas. So I'm like, you know what? Call it a tribute. <laughs> so, well, I was just I was just waiting for someone to go up to one of the characters in the village and say, so, so with all your might. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, we've but seen no, that but, story before, but I, I still love it. Oh, yes. But, uh, you know, overall, I've got to say I love my my new favorite character where, uh, you know what? Spoilers have already been out there. Everyone already knows about it. I, I got to say, I love me some wee baby yodes. Yes. <laughs> and I knew as soon as I saw it, like, oh, they've got a toy just waiting in the wings to release for Christmas. <laughs> They're just keeping it quiet. And boom, there's the merchandise. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad that they kept it quiet because if that toy had been uh, known about, a lot of the impact of the series would not be there. Yeah, they get that nice surprise, and we're still waiting to learn more about that character as we go along. And I'm I'm still expecting we're going to learn more about our, our Mandalorian as we go along. We've got some hints at some of his origin with a maybe a Mandalorian Civil War or something in the Clone Wars that seems to have taken his parents, and I guess we've learned that uh, the Mandalorians took him in. And they're more yes. of like a tribe now than not all. Not everybody is from the planet of Mandalore. It's more of a tribe, and that is the way. Kind of like Wookiees. Don't yeah. know if he said tribe or family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, definitely, definitely uh, Clone War uh, aspect to yeah. this, um, and and his distrust of any robots, you know. But yeah. <laughs> Definitely, uh, you know, with this latest episode that's just come out as we're speaking, episode five was just released. Uh, mm -hmm. Some pretty significant ties to the overall Star Wars mythos. Oh yes. was there. So, so we'll we'll keep that as it is for now, so that you can discover on your own what's there, and you know, discover who the new mysterious stranger might be. But uh, oh yes. yes. Very exciting! I'm I'm loving this series. That's uh, there. So that's actually a new thing. I think we can talk about on the show is what are you watching on Disney Plus? What am I watching? Yes. Yeah, so what are you watching on Disney Plus? We'll let you go first. <laughs> well, I'll let you know. I started off by watching one of my favorite of the '70s Disney comedies, um, The Snowball Express with Dean Jones. I'm gonna have to watch just, that. And uh, you know, it, it, it's just one of those you know 
films that I enjoyed growing up watching as a kid, you know, trying to make this uh, uh, inherited uh, mountainside property into a ski resort and all the issues that come with it, you know, and, and trying to get their steam donkey up the hill and ready to go. It, it, it's just a fun 70s Disney comedy. Uh, but beyond that, I've really been loving the Imagineering story. Uh, by Leslie Iwerks. It has been fantastic delving into the history of Imagineering and seeing the troubles and, and quite honestly, a very honest um, recounting of some of the failures and some of the difficulties that they have been through as well. So uh, definitely The Mandalorian and uh, Disneyland or uh, the Imagineering story have just been spectacular. I would love to see them be able to come out with some more of the Walt era Disneyland specials. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, uh, and uh, certainly there, there's still a lot in the vault that has yet to be released. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else they got coming. Yep. I've only seen a, a little bit of the first episode of the Imagineering story, but I did see that short they hit, they had out there focusing on, uh, Oh, I can't remember what the animator's name is now. Eric Goldberg. Yes. Eric Goldberg. Yes. I, I did watch that. That was really cool. A day at Disney. Yeah. Oh, that was that a day at Disney short? Yep. Oh, I guess it was. Yeah. So I have the Imagineering. I started watching the intro, but I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to watch other than what I've mainly been doing is when I'm at work, I'm supposed to take an hour lunch now because I'm, I'm full time now at the radio station and I'm sitting at a desk and to save money, I bring my own lunch with me and I sit there and eat it at my desk because there really isn't much of a break room. So what I've been doing is I had never actually just watched Gargoyles straight through. I've been pretty sporadic on episodes previously. So I am spending all my lunch time sitting there watching Gargoyles from the beginning and just I I I want to watch other things because I, I started out watching The Simpsons. But I can't help him. Once you start watching Gargoyles, you're like, okay, I got to watch the next episode. And then you're like, wait a minute, Mandalorian and Jeff Goldblum. I got to watch that now. But then, oh, Gargoyles. I've been loving it. Yep, yep. And that's something I'm trying to work my way into. Um, I started watching the first episode, but I've had my attention go all over the place. But it's definitely on my want to watch list. Oh, yes. I'm, I, I forgot just how great that series is. But uh, well, okay, well we, speaking of which, speaking of which... Uh, Greg Wiseman has hinted that uh, if they see good numbers of people watching the Gargoyles, they might be bringing it back. Woohoo! Plus, I heard rumors of her moving many times over. So I, I would be excited for that. If that Six happens. seasons and a movie. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Especially if Greg Wiseman gets on board on the movie, then I'm in. Oh, yes. We haven't talked to him since, was it our first or second year? I remember talking to Greg Wiseman about his books that he was writing. So we need to have him back on now to talk about uh, gargoyles. Yeah, definitely. So put that in. There. I still have. I think I still have his email address. I will make sure I track him down. Uh, but as other quick news that we want to get to, uh, let's have a quick tribute and moment of silence doesn't work so well on a podcast. So, but Carol Spinney, legendary puppeteer of Big Bird on Sesame Street and Oscar the Grouch, passed away just. Like an, uh, just this morning, I guess, on the day we're recording this, at 85 years old, uh, he suffered from, I think it was called dystonia. Let me look that up again. Uh, yeah, dystonia, which I don't know much about that disease. That might have been one of the reasons why, you know, other than the fact he was getting a lot older, uh, but he stepped down uh, a few years ago. Uh, and then he's even had to, because of health, stop making appearances. 
uh, and now he has passed away. And I tell you what, he helped raise me there with Big Bird. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's going to be enough words to really talk about what kind of an impact he had. But, you know, if we can remember the inquisitiveness of Big Bird and, you know, while Oscar was a cynic, you know, he also had his own impact on how we appreciate and see the world around us as well. Yeah. And he still made us laugh. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Even on uh, that, that Sesame Street Christmas album, I'll tell y'all, it isn't fair. I hate Christmas. I, you you got to love Oscar. He was just the perfect grouch. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Carol Spinney, for all you did and your career as a puppeteer uh, and for just making the magic and teaching us all. Uh, just, you know, he's Big Bird was almost a Mr. Rogers type character. And I love the moment where Big Bird meets Mr. Rogers. That is a fantastic well, clip. No, I hope that uh, Big Bird has a nice reunion with Mr. Hooper. You, oh, yes. Oh, golly. Don't. Vapors. Okay. Y'all talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Um, I can't think of one, but uh, yes, that Mr. Hooper episode, or that clip is on YouTube. Take a deep breath before watching. Take a deep breath because, yeah, that was golly. I hadn't even thought of that. Wow. That's almost as much vapors as I got watching the E.T. Uh, reunion commercial during the Thanksgiving mm. Day Parade. Oh, I was vapors. Well, yes. oh. <laughs> especially when I realized that was really Henry Thomas and it was really Elliot. And I was, oh, my gosh. And oh, yeah, definitely. That music has always done it for me. That, to me, is John Williams' best work as E.T. That's my opinion, but... That music is yep. so emotional that wow. I, I have I have to admit I had my concerns about seeing it because in reality it's a commercial. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Uh, our friend Jeremy reminded me. But look, ET's been in a lot of commercials anyway. I'm like, yeah. okay, that makes sense. But yeah. But yeah, and it was so emotional saying this is my family. Yeah. Um, and and having that that. The reunion and that touching few moments back. So. Yes, and with the original music and everything back. Oh, exactly. I was vaporing. I was trying to trying to hold it back. Although okay. it would have been nice to uh, show him Jar Jar and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, because we know he was there, and he's he's part of the, the Republic Council. Well, his his uh, his species his is. species is yes, and he recognized Yoda. So yes, and I. When he makes all this stuff float around the room and stuff, he's using the force. There Let's you face go. It. <laughs> the force was with him. He I'll just turned on his your lightsaber. heart light. <laughs> yes. Well, he doesn't need a lightsaber. He's got his heart light. There you go. Let it shine wherever you go. Exactly. Exactly. So that was great. So, all right. So now that we've vapored me twice, <laughs> uh, I think we need to have some movie reviews here, real quick. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Hermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. All right, so I, we're probably a little behind on some movies. I actually haven't gotten a chance to go out and see a movie since uh, like October, but we had a oh, couple wow. of big releases. And me, the priority has been I really want to see that Mister Rogers movie over Frozen yes. too, but I haven't gotten a chance to see either of them. Now, Lost Boy Philip, he did. Uh, he he went to go see Mister Rogers, and when he stepped out of Mister Rogers, he realized Frozen Two was seating, and so he went went and hopped over and watched Frozen Two. 
and he actually liked the Mr. Rogers film better. But uh, you mm-hmm. got a chance to see Frozen too because you have a daughter. <laughs> yes, yes, I've got two daughters and a son, and all three of them have been singing the new songs on the soundtrack. So uh, yeah, we we had to. Well, it's our it's our family tradition to go out and see a movie for Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. this year it was Frozen two. Um, it does pick up from uh, where we've seen the last couple of movies, rather than uh, having a cloud. Hovering over Olaf, he's now got his own set of permafrost, so you know he, he can constantly stay cold, and you know he's enjoying learning about summer and everything. And he's definitely growing older, and well, if not wiser, at least he's becoming more of a philosopher about the state of things. Hmm. Um, but the kingdom is uh, doing well. Kristoff um, is getting ready to propose to Anna um, when all of a sudden. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, Elsa starts hearing this call, wondering, you know, what is it? Why are you calling out to me? It's, it's a, no one else can hear it. So it's, it's a little concerning to her to be hearing things from out of nowhere when, uh, when she starts engaging it and focusing on it. It leads to a uh, kind of the elements are turning against the kingdom of Arendelle. And oh, everybody in the Chamber of Secrets following a mysterious voice that only she could hear. Nope, nope, no Chamber of Secrets here. <laughs> Although there is a lizard of types. Wow. Anyhow, well, but uh, that's separately. But anyhow, this leads to the, the entire city having to be evacuated um, and leads to um, Elsa wanting to find out, you know, what is this that's calling to her? Anna saying, hey, I was the one – well – she doesn't want Anna to go with her, but Anna says, I was the one who went after you. I have no powers. You were the one that hit me in the heart with that uh, bit of ice power, and I survived. And it was because I survived that I was able to save you. And Kristoff is going, well, I'm going with you too, Anna, because in his back pocket, he's got a ring that he wants to give mm-hmm. to her. Um, and so the movie you know, kind of focuses on you know, what is it that's calling out to them? Why do they have to get into it? Um, and it leads into some of the history of Arendelle talks about, um, you know, maybe her parents not, were not necessarily involved in, uh, or at least that they didn't pass away the way that we thought that they did, that there's more to their history, you know, why they are a couple, where they came from and what the former King, uh, even before their father, uh, was trying to accomplish, uh, through his rule. Uh, overall, it's a very enjoyable movie. It uh, was a lot darker than I expected. Hmm. Uh, it uh, went to a few places that you don't expect to see. And uh, there's a scene that occurs within a cave involving both Anna and Olaf that just really kind of gets to you. And you're not expecting it, but it happens. And at the end, you know, it leaves Anna with having to come up with, okay, all I can do is just make – I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I should do. But all I can do is just make the next right decision. And hopefully that's going to lead to get us to the resolution we need and where we need to go from here. So no spoilers well, from, or anything? <laughs> no, no spoilers. Okay. I'm trying not to not trying not trying to say too much about it. You know, if you want me to go into spoilers, yep, I can. Because nope. <laughs> I will see it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, once I get a chance to start going out to movies again, uh, it's, you know, it's still a little hectic around here, but I, like I said, my priority, I got to see that Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie. Oh yes, definitely. So, and definitely. then after that, I'll go see frozen two, but I, <laughs> I got to do it before star Wars because, oh my gosh, star Wars. Hey, we've got less than two weeks to go. Really? Is it that? Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, and we also know that along with the Rise of Skywalker, we're going to be getting uh, some updates to Star Tours, which I'm so excited about. And this week, we have just had the real or the opening of Rise of the Resistance at Walt Disney World. Yes, we did, but we still got another movie to review. We do, so go right ahead. (laughs) And I actually just finished watching this very recently, but I sat down to watch the live-action version of Lady and the Tramp on Disney+. Plus. In fact, me and my wife both sat down. Uh, and this is, you know, the, amongst the fleet of remake, remakes that Disney has been making of some of their classics, and Lady and the Tramp is a very special movie to me. I remember when we rented it, I watched it about three times at least that, e- that evening before we had to take that movie back. I adore that movie. It is a great one. Uh, so I was coming in there with some trepidation, like, okay, you know, wow me with this. Uh, I can say that there are moments of like, well, that was enjoyable and it's, it's kind of cute. Uh, Heather kind of checked out fairly early on and was just on her phone the whole time. Um, this is what I call an unnecessary remake other than they're, they, they seem to have a checklist like, okay, we got to make sure we're diverse. Okay. Check diversity, uh, strong empowerment for females. Check. Got that one on there. You know, it's, it's like a checklist that they feel they have to do with every one of these remakes to where they, you know, want to just change the stories and mix it up enough to where they make sure they hit all these check marks. And I don't feel like they're trying to tell us a story more than they're trying to hit these check marks. Yeah. And I hear that, you know, I, I actually watched a video on this last week, which, you know, that kind of is, was the, the subject of the video is, yeah, they're remakes, but it seems that they're just trying to say, oops, we're sorry for what happened in the original movie. So let's make it up to you by incorporating this into it. Yeah. Uh, I personally have not sat down and watched the new Lady and the Tramp all the way through. However, as a father with three bored, kids, <laughs> well, as a father with three kids, it has played uh, in my home about 5,473,062 times. And so I think I've caught the whole movie, just I haven't sat all the way through it. And and I have to agree, I you know, it, it's cute. Um, I really like the, the way that they went to try and, uh, you know, do the period uh, costume. Completely wrong. I mean, the costumes, but... How? Yeah. Okay. But there's 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 a lot of I'm gonna dive on an issue in there. <laughs> yeah, and and you know that we're not here for that. You know, um, you know, I would love to. You know, I, I don't have a problem with uh, the casting ch- choices that they made, but uh, you know, they did what they could with it. Um, yeah. But well, you know, it's it's not the original the movie. Song of the South gets criticized because of the time periods in that they don't feel that they're representing what it was like to be even sharecropping with African-Americans. Mm-hmm. They're not representing that time period very well. So if that's the big criticism of Song of the South, then why is it? OK, so 1930s New Orleans would have had all kinds of issues that are being totally ignored, which mm-hmm. if, if without the complaints about Song of the South, I'd be like, hey, whatever. But, you know, I where's where's the uproar of like, ah, wow, you know, this Jim Deere and Darling would have been ostracized in that time, which not wouldn't have been right to ostracize them. But that's that's the time they were living in. Right. So some but, of the choices they made, I was like, well, it, why is this OK? But Song of the South isn't. Well, you know, and, and I think there's an argument to be made there. But you also we also need to realize that uh, they are trying to advertise towards a wide audience. Yeah. Um you know, they're, they, they, they do want to, you know, feel inclusive and let everyone feel like they have representation Check in mark. it. Um, We're inclusive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I think feel like they advanced the story by doing it. They just want to do a check mark. But I see yeah. that contradiction with yeah. all the, cri- the criticism to Song of the South, which, oh, which is not on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Well, so and that's my my bigger yeah. issue, I guess, I had with the film yeah. is that and, that's not fair to Song of the South. Yeah. And I get that. I think they could have done more to uh, to to truly uh, fully envelop that mindset and maybe setting it in another location other than New Orleans would have been better. Yeah. But, so, you know, so, that's unfortunately, that's was yes. the mentality in that time. Period. Yes. But uh, at, at the end of the day, um Again, with what I've seen, it's not going to be my first choice yeah. when I open up Disney Plus. But uh, you know, again, uh, it's an opportunity. Uh, it is uh, some you know. It allows them the opportunity to retell that story um, badly. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 it hits some of the the story notes, but. I, I really, Jock and Tresty kind of, they were such great characters and they, they barely touched Jock and Tresty to get them to be fully developed characters as I felt like they were in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, Old Reliable just becomes a little, a, a quick term for his nose and you you really lost a lot of his characters of who Tresty was. Jock got a complete overhaul and of course, you know, now it's a female and her big thing is uh, she's some sort of uh, early 1900s version of an Instagram dog or something. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of weird, but like, okay, yeah, you know, we just kind of go with it. But and yeah. I, I felt like we lost a lot of the parts of these characters of what we loved the, about these characters because they just wanted like, well, we, we need to have Trusty and Jock in there. And so they're just kind of there. But, right. I, but it, it also, it changed where, you know, the, we didn't have that buildup of doubt about Trusty's nose. And like, oh, we know right. he's lost a smeller. And that, and that's a major plot point and becomes important at the end of the original film. And this one, mm-hmm. you know, they just kind of like, oh, he just he's just trying to police things again. But yeah. we have to have a, the female empowerment moment of Trusty is not feeling confident about it until uh, one of the females empower him, you know, pass the power. When, you know, in the original film, I liked that that nobody believed in Trusty. And when Jacques says like, well, we know y'all lost your sense of smell and that look that Trusty sends him. And the original yeah. film is great. And we dropped the ball on that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's just too many moments of where the characters are just not the same. And they wanted so much to make a lady to be more of an empowered character that she comes off like a spoiled brat pretty mm-hmm. early on in the film. And you kind of don't like her for a while. And it's and I, I get you want to have the dichotomy of showing like, well, she is kind of the spoiled upbringing, you know, or, you know, have, getting everything while Tramp is coming up with, you know, nothing and that the, the wrong side of the tracks mentality. But when that comes across, we lose some of the heart of the film is in the, the original animated has this thing where it's dedicated to dogs and all the things that makes dogs special. And that original film was told totally from a dog's perspective. We never see a human face. Right, fully. and that certainly is not the case. That's with, not uh, the case. We've lost this film. being about everything we love about dogs, and just being just—it's just another dog movie, like all the ones you see trailers for. That you kind of have the—if you absolutely just love everything dog, you're probably going to go. But a mm-hmm. lot of us would be like, "Oh, yeah, another dog movie. Yeah, well, well, maybe we'll watch it later on cable." You know, it's—they—they've it, taken something that was a great film and turned it into just another dog movie. Well, you know, we'll invite everyone out there. Let us know what you yeah. think about it. You know, please share on our Facebook page. Uh, send us emails. You know, we'll be more than happy to to listen to your reaction to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and hopefully, it's worth a watch. I'll, I'll give it. It's worth a watch. But if I hadn't ever heard or seen of the original, 
this would have been just an okay movie. Mm-hmm. And I would have I would have been able to maybe enjoy it, but I probably would not have bothered to go see it at all. It kind of like these other dog movies that have come out recently that I'm like, oh, well, that kind of looks cute, but I don't bother to see it. And that's where this would have sat with me had I not had love for the original that made me want to go see what they've done. So, ah, okay. And the dogs well, are I cute. I need to go watch. Well, yeah, they definitely are. The dogs well, are I cute. need to go watch A Dog's Way Home. So, <laughs> Yeah, which those I'm sure are great in their own way, but I'm just not interested. So we also had a uh, – well, before we get into some trailers – Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. So, yes, the Rise of the Resistance. And I know it, to some people it would be a spoiler to go and watch some of the videos, but I figure I don't know when I'm going to get to the parks. I went and I watched the videos of it, and oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm in the camp that I'm trying to keep myself unspoiled. I'll just say to you, oh, my gosh, you are totally – because only Disney – I mean, okay, Universal did a really good job with Harry Potter from what I've seen of it. But Disney is the master of putting you into a movie. And, well, and ooh, everything I've heard, you are there. You are totally there. And, oh, the – I mean, I've seen the, the actual ride when you're actually on the on the vehicle, the, the final vehicle, the – Oh, um, trackless ride system is maybe just about five minutes, but you have like 25 minutes of an experience leading up to that. I mean, you know, space which is everything. And- yeah, which is everything that Batu is about. Oh. You know, now with the with the opening of the ride, I know that they had X wings flying overhead mm. as drones, um, which they might have been a- just for opening day. I hope they keep exactly. that going. Me too. Me too. They also had a lightsaber battle between uh, Ray and Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. um, involving their unique character to Batu Vimerati, uh, Resistance Spy. Um, they really are trying to do everything that they can to make you believe that this is a real living planet that you are in the Star Wars universe, and you're and, part of the story this yeah, time, <sighs> which you know I've experienced by being able to build two droids there. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they take you in, they show you. I am hoping that my next trip, I am able to participate in the lightsaber build experience. Oh, yes. Go for it. And that's, create my own. And and my that goals. I've heard <laughs> I've heard people cry uh, about it. Um, but that's what Batu is all about. It's about immersing yourself in the experience. And I'll tell you, the, the couple of opportunities I've had to go have been great. And I cannot wait to get back there and be able to... Uh, have this experience with rise of the resistance. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally just, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a, a blitzkrieg eventually. I'm going to have to just go crazy in there and do it all. And, but I'll, you know, I'm kind of glad it's taken me some time to get back to the parks just because I watched, you know, Adam, the Wu has a great video on the opening oh, yeah. day of it. And I mean, cars were backed up. Everybody wanted to try to get there early. I mean, this was, everybody was super excited for this. And I think it, I don't think I've heard anybody have any complaints. I mean, this, this exceeded expectations from everything I've seen. Yeah, if anything, oh, the, the only complaints that I have heard is that it has gone down. 
Uh, yeah, that, there have been issues with it, but you know that's a brand new attraction. Uh, there are going to be problems that they have to work out. And uh, I was actually reading uh, one entry where someone was talking with one of the uh, Imagineers who created the attraction, who was there to help see it through all of these hiccups as it starts up. And he, could, you know, this this uh, commenter said, you know, I could really tell that it was seriously affecting this imagineer that uh they were having these problems and you know but that they were resolved to make sure that they worked them all out that they would learn from this experience and that they would use what they learn when they open this attraction at disneyland next month um but i'll tell you it from everything i've heard and again i'm trying to keep myself as spoiler free as possible about this attraction uh this is disney at its best big time i mean this is so amazing that you may cry. I've, I didn't even see. I think out in the Woo's video, we had somebody came out. It's like, sorry, I, somebody walked out. It's like I'm almost in tears. That was it was so real. <laughs> I was in the Star Wars universe. I'll tell you what. Right now, I'm planning my next trip to uh, be, be the the weekend between Christmas and New Year's. I know it's going to be absolutely crazy, but I am going to be doing everything I can yes. to get in and uh, get this experience. Oh, and because even the experience in the queue will be there. And some of, I mean, there's more than one pre-show. Just and what I've seen, it's just amazing. Oh yeah. Oh, the, I love how the technology has really, when when used best, can create such experiences that I mean, I thought the Millennium Falcon, what I saw with the animatronic of Honda, was amazing. But wow. Mm-hmm. I won't say well, exactly what you see because I don't want to ruin it, but. <laughs> The videos I've seen, I'm just sitting there going, this is so amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, this is like the coolest. This may be the coolest ride ever. How is Disney ever going to top this? I don't know. But (laughs) new things will come along all the time. They'll always find new ways to top it. Heck, they may even top it with the Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge when that starts streaming exclusively on Disney Plus, hosted by Mr. Ahmed Best. That's right. Jar Jar himself, because the kids love Jar Jar. It's a kids game show. Hey, you know what? I love Jar Jar. I'll admit it. I, I think he's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah there's um, Pigeon English issues aside. <laughs> you know, Jar Jar is—he was—he's there to be the comic relief. And I, and I am the first so few sorry. Times. Yeah, and I am so sorry for all of the the difficulties that Ahmed Best has gone through because of how people reacted to Jar Jar. I am so excited to see him embracing and uh, being able to participate in this. And being uh, embraced. We saw that at D- exactly. or not D23 so much, but Star Wars Celebration. Younger yeah. generations that haven't grown up so senile, I guess, as some of our people our age are. Mm-hmm. They love the prequels. They love Jar Jar. And when he came out, they were thrilled to see him. Oh, yes. And yes. I, I even had a even conversation with a, a co-worker this week because I said, you know, you know, Jar Jar can be annoying. But I, I admit, I laughed and thought he was funny for a few times. It's just, you know, a little too much Jar Jar can go a little too far. But I didn't have problems with the character. I mean, there's there's a lot. Of other. I, I, there was some other character. Oh, that's right. Because we were talking about he was surprised. I don't I'm not a fan of the elf movie. But I said, yeah, because Buddy the Elf, unfortunately, is more annoying than Jar Jar could ever be. <laughs> That's my opinion. Go ahead and send your comments on how much you love the movie, because I know you love it, and I know I'm in a minority there. But I don't think Will Ferrell is that funny. <laughs> Truth. Okay. And I, could, I tried watching that movie, and I was just like, I'm just getting annoyed by him. I'm not finding what he does funny. So, yeah, I'm weird. But, yeah, I... T- I think Jar Jar is far less annoying than Buddy the Elf. Jar Jar actually made me laugh. (laughs) 
Because he got his tongue numbed. I mean, come on. That, that's funny. I like a good slapstick. That's funny. Anyways, but we have some uh, trailers to review, I suppose. We should move on to those. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't nobody gonna sing with me. Okay. The Neverland Trailer Park. So first trailer I really want to get into was one that we've been... I didn't know the trailer was dropping, but we've been expecting this. No Time to Die, the first trailer uh, for the new James Bond film, which this is... Basically, uh, Daniel Craig's last time to play James Bond, uh, because the current plan is that we're not going to have any further James Bond films. We're going to have 007 films, and I believe in this trailer we do meet his replacement, uh, because they've been pushing for a woman to be the new 007, and we did see a character that I guess has kind of taken his place, because James Bond is supposed to have retired, and is coming out of retirement for a new adventure, which, I gotta say, looks pretty exciting. So, uh, we'll see how it goes after after they remove James Bond from uh, the James Bond franchise. But this one, I think I'm going to enjoy. It did look a lot of fun. Another movie that I saw a trailer for this week, The Call of the Wild, coming out from 20th Century Fox with Harrison Ford. This, of course, based on a classic novel, which I honestly, I haven't ever read. Uh, of course, Jack London have read a lot, wrote a lot of uh, books, uh, a lot of dogs, I think, and wolves. And uh, in the northern and cold areas, uh, he seemed to focus a lot on those. Uh, this one, uh, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me on this is, you know, a lot of people who did not enjoy the live action version of The Lion King, which I actually did kind of enjoy. Uh, but a lot of the, uh, the comments were that the faces of the animals were too realistic and didn't emote kind of like a human would but we see the dog in this film emoting very human-like and it ends up looking very cartoonish and not believable and i for the style of the film where this is supposed to be kind of a realistic and a adventure drama i feel that maybe over animating the dog's expressions takes away from it. It makes it a little cartoonish. Uh, so I actually was not really that interested in seeing it after seeing the animations for the dog. And I just find it ironic. So, well, this is what happens when you go too far with animating the dog. I mean, it worked for, remember the old cats and dogs franchise? Well, I guess franchise of two films, but you remember that film, it's meant to be kind of cartoony. So doing all the expressions on the uh, animals, it worked because it's kind of a goofy film. But this is a film that feels like it's supposed to be taken seriously. And when you have an overanimated dog expression, it I can't take it seriously anymore. Not like something like Togo, which definitely says you're going to take it seriously. This will be this stars Willem Dafoe will be a Disney Plus original streaming starting December 20th. Togo is based off of a true story of the winter in 1925, and it's uh, dog sledding, and it's focusing on a dog that doesn't seem to be quite trainable, but he's of course, becomes the lead dog for the sled team, and as he gets older, they have a very important uh, run involving some medicine that they need to go through a treacherous storm with uh, Willem Dafoe as the dog sled trainer, and this... Uh, this looks so uh, stressful to me that I don't think I'm going to be able to sit through it. And especially if we find out if the dog doesn't survive in the end because he's an older dog or something, I'm not going to watch. Because I, I, you know, I, this just, it's one of those, like I was saying, dog movies, I, I can't always get into dog movies. And this is one that I, I don't think that I'd be interested in watching. It just looks a little stressful for me because, you know, I do like dogs. So, and putting them in a stressful situation is yeah, not quite my cup of tea all the time. Mulan. And now this 
looked pretty exciting. Uh, this did look very, very good. I am curious what they have done with Mulan. I mean, this uh, looks like it's it's similar in some story points, but it's like a completely different take on it. And uh, looks like a great adventure film. Uh, and I'm actually curious after this trailer to check it out. So, um you know, I'm not expecting this to be uh, at all like the cartoon, a little bit very different, but I do find this humorous that a lot of people who have been, you know, supporting that, hey, this was a great idea to remake this, and this remake needed to be made because it's a more realistic portrayal of Mulan from the Legends. And we talk about how much realism we're going for, and then in this trailer, we get to see a witch who can turn into a bird. That's not realistic. So I think we can stop the realism argument and say that, hey, you know what? This just looks interesting, and I want to check it out. And let's not say that it needs to be remade for realism's sake. And finally, we had a teaser trailer for Black Widow. I have been waiting for this movie because this could be... This is what, to me, should be like the female James Bond-ish style film. A uh, lot of good spy thriller stuff. Getting to see uh, Natasha's family. Uh, there are characters that I know are major Marvel characters that I haven't necessarily recognized all of them specifically, uh, but David Harbour in there. And even, okay, if David Harbour and all these other actors can speak with a Russian accent, uh, why is Natasha not speaking with a Russian accent? We have never heard her use an accent. She's supposed to be Russian. So I, I that's kind of always bothered me in some of the films. It's like, why isn't she using some sort of an accent? Um, and it really pulls it out and puts a finger on it when we get a look at her around her family and they're all speaking with Russian accents and uh, Natasha here is not. And I don't know what the reason behind that would be. I don't know what the thought is. Uh, maybe they'll give an explanation in the film. I hope so because that's always one of the things. It's a minor thing but it's always been one of those things that I've been like why, why is that? But otherwise this movie looks very exciting and I am looking forward to checking out when it is released May 1st of 2020. But now I have something special. We are going to hear from author W.R. Miller, which we've spoken with before. Uh, so let me just jump over to where I introduced him as I spoke with him again this week about his new book. To Disney and Beyond. All right, we have a returning guest. This is going to be fun. So y'all remember W.R. or Bob Miller. Hopefully you remember. If you haven't listened to that episode, that was... Was that last year? I don't know. It's been a little while. But uh, my goodness, you have written for like Starlog and about every fan magazine anyone could think of throughout your career. And you have all these interviews and all these really cool people you've talked to. And you've been putting out books and releasing all kinds of stuff. And uh, Star Wars history books. And I mean, and the history of like the making of Star Wars. I think that's the first thing we talked to you about was when you released a Star Wars book that was really cool. Uh, and then you've got now a second volume of, uh, what did you call it? The animated, animated voice. Animated voice. So you've re you've interviewed enough voice actors that now you've got a second book that you've just put out of all the interviews. Well, right now I've got about four volumes, so two more are forthcoming. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we should start with, who haven't you talked to yet? <laughs> oh, there's, there's plenty of voice actors in the town, <laughs> I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. And, and I've been interviewing people from out of town. Um, for instance, um, I've got one with Paula Burroughs coming up in a future book. I talked to her. You know, she plays uh, Rayla on the Dragon Prince. And I have not heard of that cartoon. She, she's from uh, Canada. 
Yeah, they record in Canada. The Dragon Prince is a Netflix series. Oh. But it's it's animated in uh, at Bardell in Canada, but the writers, the show creators, are in El Segundo in California. And so I took the opportunity to interview them for Animation Scoop, but uh, also for Paula, who's just now starting out as an animator. Or not, I'm sorry, not an animator, a, a voiceover actress. This is her very first job. However, that's going to be for a future volume. And then I've interviewed celebrities such as, um, well, um, let's see. Well, Kevin Conroy, the voice Ooh. of Batman. Yes. But uh, currently going to be on Crisis on Infinite Earth uh, on the on the CW, which might bring me back to start watching some of the Arrowverse TV shows just yes. be- just because Kevin Conroy. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great. I've actually seen him at conventions. He, uh, wow, he's just he's phenomenal. And uh, the, the, I wish I was gifted with that type of voice just to sound that good. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> Part of it is his training. He trained at Juilliard, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually uh, um, worked had uh, Robin Williams as a roommate. Wow! <laughs> and he was there at the same time. They were there at the same time as uh, Christopher Reeve. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> so you had Popeye, Batman, and Superman all in the same school. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about it? Oh my goodness. Uh, can you imagine them all being in even in one classroom? Oh yeah! Wow, I'd be I'd love to be just even a fly on the wall. <laughs> oh yeah. So, but for this book, um, basically, I've divided it into two parts. One is called prelay. The other is um, lip sync or dubbing. Those are the two kinds of voiceovers. So hmm. I've interviewed actors who uh, specialize in one or the other. For the ones who uh, specialize in the prelay, what prelay means is that you record and then the animators animate to your voice. Yeah. As opposed to dubbing, where you import something like Japanese animation and then you have to lip sync to that performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're a little more restricted if you're an actor. You have to match the behavior of the character on the screen rather yeah. than produce it on your own as an original character. Yeah, when voicing anime, they even they have to have a timer, and they just say, "All right, you got to start talking right now," you know. Yeah, they, <laughs> and they just squeeze it in to try to make it fit with the lips. Yeah, well, for this one, um, yeah, I, I have uh, I interviewed the cast of uh, Dragon Ball. Nice. So I've got them. I've got um, Marie Ijima, who voices Lin Min Mei, originally in Japanese, but she also. Uh, introdu- uh, voiced the part in English. Cool. On uh, Macross. My goodness. So, uh, is it? Did you find the similarities to, between people who you know do like anime, for example, and people who? Uh, uh, and I forgot they have a term for it now, where they go through even uh, on films where maybe the actor who performed the role is not able to go and revoice themselves, and so, so they'll get a, an actor who can sound just like that actor, and they'll have them come and dub a voice on top of it. I mean, is it, it's a similar method, I guess, with the, you got a series of beeps, and they have to start talking right at this certain beep, like the third beep in or something. Yeah, that's, your, that's a very interesting observation. Uh, sometimes when the studio will hire a celebrity, 
to voice to voice a role, they cannot really act so well. Not just <laughs> you know, uh, they they cannot ma- match or loop uh, whatever's on the screen. So they hire somebody, an impressionist, to mimic um, that part. For instance, um, David Niven, when they did the uh, final uh, Pink Panther movies, he uh, wasn't able to voice himself so well. So I think they got Rich Little to loop or dub him in that role. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we know, of course, Star Wars is rather infamous for voice replacement in, in films. Uh, I've actually gotten to meet the uh, the voice of Wedge Antilles because the actor had such a heavy Scottish accent that nobody could understand him. <laughs> so, well, we'll see what he sounds like in The Rise of Skywalker. Oh my goodness, are we expecting like the uh, the original actor to keep his voice? Mean? And well, what is? we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, the actor will be in that movie. Awesome. Playing that. I, said, I didn't think I knew Wedge was going to be in there. Yes. I hope we didn't spoil anything for anybody. <laughs> no, it's 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 been out, it's been announced. So, see, that's how far out of the loop I've been with with buying a house. I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, if this is a scoop for your area, run with it. <laughs> heard it well, it's heard scooping it's me. The Neverland Podcast, folks. <laughs> yes, Wedge will be there, which is cool because now I feel like I've met people that have done, you know. Most of the sets of the movie, because I've gotten to meet some of the, uh, just, you know, background Jedi from the prequels. Uh, you know, getting to talk to, of course, Wedge. I've shook hands with Peter Mayhew. And, uh, you know, of course, now bringing them on to the newer trilogy. I did even uh, get to meet the puppeteer behind BB-8. So I've now met people with bit parts in all three sets. <laughs> yeah, you, that's great. Woo! Yeah, it's a goals, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, who was your favorite person? Or at least, we'll, we'll make it easy. In this particular book, who was your favorite person you got to interview? Wow. Well, I would say offhand, uh, Pete Doctor. Oh, Now, Pete wow. Doctor, now he's in my first book, too. I talked hmm. to him about on the Animated Voice Volume 1. I talked to him for that. But um, I had interviewed him on behalf of Starlog Magazine a few years ago when he was in charge of translating... Uh, well, overseeing the translation of Hal's Moving Castle. Oh, neat. And so, you know, it's always a joy to talk to him because he's very well versed in the process of animation. He's a director, and uh, now he's a creative director ahead of uh, Pixar. Yeah. He's a very nice and very talented guy. Yes, and still, uh, I I think uh, Monsters Incorporated was completely his idea, if I remember correctly. I know he directed it. I think he wrote it as well, didn't he? Uh, I believe so. I think he was at least one of the writers, but uh, yeah. I have to look it up. Yeah, I'd have to do that too, and that's because that's still one of my top Pixar films of all time is Monsters Inc. Yeah. Well, his one uh, called Soul coming up is very promising. Oh yes, I'm rather excited for that. After getting to see some footage of it, it's very different. So anything yeah. they do, Pixar does something so creative that they always kind of do something I don't expect, and so I'm always super excited for whatever they're doing because they always take animation, new directions, come up with stories that we haven't heard a bazillion times before, yeah, and new ways to tell. Oh, picture art, everything they do, I just get excited about. Oh, they're great. So, who is your least favorite person to have interviewed? I don't have a least favorite. 
I, I, I won't answer it that way. I'll tell you somebody I didn't interview, but that is in the book because uh, they've passed away. Um, the book has uh, interviews with Mel Blanc and June Foray. Mm. And um, I never met them. Well, I met June, and I've got a picture of myself with June at a performance. But um, I managed to get permission from the Comics Buyer's Guide, uh, which had interviews by Shell Dorf uh, of both Mel Blanc and June Foray. And so I was able to salvage those interviews and uh, put them in the book. Nice. Alan Light, the publisher, gave me permission to reprint them in this book. And uh, they're very insightful, and they're also fact-checked by Keith Scott of Australia. He was the voice of Bullwinkle Moose after Bill Scott passed away. So cool. Keith himself is uh, working on a voice actor's book, book from the classic era. And so he helped fact-check uh, both uh, Mr. Blank and... and uh, and Lucille Bliss as well. I've got Lucille Bliss in there. And uh, he did some fact-checking and, um, you know, because their memories at the time of the interview were kind of going by the wayside a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. And then I, I did interview Lucille Bliss directly, but she has sadly passed away. But she was in, incredibly enthusiastic all in the last years of her life. She was wonderful, just enthusiastic, bubbly. Um, just full of life, and uh, it was a pleasure to interview her. Yeah, it's the nice thing about doing a book like this is being able to collect the, all these stories and memories from these people because we are losing them sometimes at an alarming rate. You know, uh, with with old classic animation that even even I at forty two grew up watching. You know, the Flintstones and Bullwinkle and Rocky. I still like to watch some Bullwinkle and Rocky. I found them on YouTube. They have an official channel now. They're posting all the old cartoons up. So growing up on those, it's nice to have someone preserving the uh, the stories from these people and everything. So it's you know you're mentioning all these people having passed away. I'm glad you got a chance to interview them and collect it in this book. Uh, did you get a chance? To, I, I remember his first name is Alan. His la I've lost his last name for some reason. Um, you know, voice of Scrooge McDuck uh, was uh, on Mr. Ed. He played Wilbur. Uh, Alan Young. Did yeah. you get a chance to interview him? No, but I do have an anecdote about him in the first book, and I use that anecdote later on in the series um, as sort of an object lesson. Uh, I would ask the question to an actor, I would say, how much leeway do you have uh, as an actor? When do you know the character better than the people who are writing the scripts? Mm. And there are instances of that. Yeah. So when I took a class at... Um, UCLA and uh, extension on animation, Jim Magon, who produced Gummy Bears. Yes. And created Gummy Bears. He taught that class. And uh, we were, he brought in Frank Welker. And we were talking, I asked Frank that question, and it came out. Jim shared this information. He said that um, Scrooge McDuck was saying in the script, he was saying, Oh, what a nice little girl. And Alan Young, who's a Scot, said, no, no, you, Scrooge would say, what a wee Bonnie Lassie. <laughs> so that's an example where the actor would know better than the scriptwriter. Um, so I would constantly use this illustration and uh, some of the questions I would ask other people. 
I mean, you don't want, you know, as an actor, you don't want to be rude or anything. You always, you know, check it out beforehand and gauge whether or not, you know, the director and the writers are there and if they're agreeable to this. Yeah. In this case, with Alan Young, who knew what he was talking about, you know, Jim Magon said, oh, of course, of course, Scrooge would say it like that. Yeah. And a lot of times you might have, you know, an animated series, you could have various different directors and various different writers that are going to work on that series. So the only ones sometimes consistent are the actors playing them. And so a new director will come in and or a writer. And I've heard a lot of stories where the actors like, um, that doesn't quite come across very well with the character. Can I, can I say it like this? And so, yeah, I, I think as long as you're respectful, uh, you, I, I think a lot of directors are probably more open to suggestion than I would, I would hope. I mean, I've heard some horror stories. I cannot think of the guy's name. Now the guy who was, uh, basically directed every episode of transformers and GI Joe had ever had a way he wanted everything done and you did it his way and you did not argue. Yes. That's uh, <laughs> Wally Burr. Yes. And um, I talk about him in uh, Volume 3 coming up. Oh, volume I bet three. you got some great stories there. Yeah, I've I've got uh, stories from uh, several of the cast of Transformers in that one. Oh, goodness. And Frank Welker. Oh. And Which I, Frank Welker, I've heard, is kind of be... He's a bit elusive and hard to, uh, to pin down to an interview sometimes. Well, this is based on some interviews I did uh, several years ago with him. A, a good friend of mine... Uh, put me in touch with him, and I wrote some articles with him. And he's a very nice guy, um, even treated me to lunch. I couldn't believe it, but uh, wow. he was nice enough to do that. And so he talked extensively about his career, and that will be in Volume 3. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're getting excited for Volume 3, so when's Volume 3 supposed to come out? <laughs> that I don't know. That's up to the publisher at this point. My goodness! But uh, volume two is out, and um, so like I said, you know, it's got pre it talks about prelay, voiceover, and um, looping, uh, that kind of thing, you know, dubbing, and then also I have interviews with two directors. One is Carlos Saldana, who directed Ice Age. He and oh. uh, his latest film was uh, Ferdinand, and uh, Mamoru Hosoda, who directed Mirai. From Japan. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, that's a very, very popular film. And it was very... His films... He actually formed his own studio over there. He uh, directed some uh, some of Digimon. And hmm. to a point where he decided to um, start his own studio. And he's done uh, several projects. Uh, and the latest is Mirai. And Mirai means future. It's hmm. this... Um, Little boy is jealous of this baby girl, and um, it, um, you know, he 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 leaves the home and runs across his fu future sister, all grown up. In other words, huh. he's grown up, and he learn he learns from this experience. You know, she she takes him to the future uh, for herself, and and a little bit into the past. And so, basically, the director, Mr. Hosoda. Um, introduced a real life situation that he had in his own life and put that circumstance in his film. It's a very personal film. Yeah. Sounds like it. In other words, he has the freedom having his own studio, not to think commercially like a DreamWorks or a Disney. Right. Studio Chizu, which is his studio, 
can do more personal down-to-earth pro- uh, projects. And if you can, if you ever get a chance to see it, which I hope you will, you notice how intricately detailed the the backgrounds are and how nuanced the animation is. It's all hand-drawn. It's not CG like they are over here. The Japanese are still making hand-drawn films. Which is why I think it's still popular around here because people still do love hand-drawn. Yes. It still has its own its own unique style that to me it's it just seems more artistic than a lot of stuff. I mean, you can do amazing things in a computer, no doubt. But when you look at backgrounds that would, that you know were drawn by by hand on like an old medium, uh, it's I don't know. It just it captures my imagination a little bit more. Yes. So I'm, I'm still big on hand drawn. I'm like they. Even looking really classic, like the opening sequence of Bambi when you're moving through the forest, I'm, uh, that's just sheer amazement for me. Which I know now you could do on a computer and everything, and it, it'll look great. But something about it, you know, and, and a lot of stuff in computer is still kind of done by hand on a screen, you know, and that's very very cool. But I don't know, there's just something about seeing it done in watercolor or oils or you know whatever they use for those backgrounds that it still just amazes me. So I that's. Why I still appreciate Japanese animation just because of the effort and the time that they go ahead and take and making just works of art on every frame. Well, yeah. Well, I would recommend Klaus, K-L-A-U-S, or Claus as in Santa Claus. Yeah, I've heard of that one. I need to watch it. You need to watch it because that is, by and large, uh, hand-drawn. Yeah. It's on Netflix right now, I think, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. That's on my list of Christmas movies I plan to watch this month. Yeah, and uh, and at the same time, I'm going to go back to The Dragon Prince. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. They did use CG for the characters, you know, hand-done hand backgrounds as well, but the CG is done uh, with something called cell shading. So it looks, ah. so looks hand-drawn, yeah. yet the characters uh, are on-model, what we call on-model throughout. You know, mm-hmm. the the shapes don't go out of place in places, and uh, the animation smoothed out more in seasons two and three. It's a little choppy in season one, but the stories are compelling. They don't really write down to the audience. It's an epic adventure, and uh, there is death involved. You know, it's it's a fantasy uh, where the heroes um, have to take this egg back to this kingdom, or else a war breaks out. Hmm. And um, I, I don't really want to spoil it, so I, I'll I'll just say there's romance involved and there's dragons involved. <laughs> that's of, what every good story needs, right? Romance and dragons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong. You got romance, you got dragons. That's right. I am sold. There we go. <laughs> so, um, how difficult is it? Because I mean, you've got years of interviews uh, with all the different magazines like Starlog. I can't remember how many magazines you, you mentioned before that you've worked for. But how difficult is it going back and you know collecting your, your old research and your old interviews, finding exactly what you want to, to put together these books? And then I figure you're going out and collecting new information as well at the same time. I mean, how much how, – how difficult is that? Well, it's, it's not that difficult. I mean – a good portion, of course, is reprints from the interviews I've done for Comic Scene and Starlog. And um, the rest, yes, I do have more recent interviews just to keep everything fresh mm-hmm. and more interesting to the um, to the readers, to uh, future actors. Um, 
for instance, um, for the last two years, I've been inter in interviewing the cast of Dragon Ball, or what it's called now, Dragon Ball Super. And so I've got the principal actors from that. I've got um, Christopher Sabat, who does Vegeta, Sean Schemmel, who does Goku, and Jason Douglas, who um, does Beerus, who's this what I call a cosmic cat who has the power to destroy planets. Mm. No, they actually all do. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so those are the three. And so they're in this book and they explain what they go through in um, doing their roles. And, you know, if you watch the show, there's a lot of screaming and shouting yeah. and battle cries. And so they'll, they'll tell you what they do to protect their voice because they're in the they're the recording booth for up to four ta for for up to four hours, and they their voices can give out to them with all the strain. Mm -hmm. So they tell how to prepare to prepare for their role, uh, what they do to match the voice to the image on the screen, and um, they also share fan stories of what it means to them for to meet fans. And um, Christopher Sabat was touched when this one kid. I believe he, it was in Arizona. He was stung by wasps. Ouch. And um, the way he got out of it, the way he survived, was he, for want of a better word, channeled Vegeta. You know, mm -hmm. Vegeta is Vegeta is a Super Saiyan. Yeah. He's angry all, a lot of the times. Yeah. <laughs> he, he channeled that character um, and pretended to be that character to withstand the punishment his body was taking uh from all these stings and so that helped him help sustain him during his recovery and he was able to recover because of that and that touched uh mr sabat um and he shared that with me yeah have you gotten a chance to interview anyone about uh, voicing video games yeah some of these people uh also do video games you know when you're an actor it's not just anime or that you dub but um some like Jason Douglas, uh, Sean Schemmel's done um, video games too. Uh, they talk about that. I guess that's another one of those times where they uh, they want to get all their dialogue done and then spend the rest of their time doing death screams as their character may have to die fifteen different ways. Well, <laughs> so. that's, well, that's the thing because it does. They have to say the the same line different ways in video. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yes. And now it's getting more intensive. Uh, a lot of these actors are now having to do motion capture for their character as well. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's getting complicated. The more complicated games are, it's it's pretty much like a little movie production going on. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, have you gotten a chance to like interview? Like uh, speaking of video games, like two of the biggest names for uh, doing games anymore is like Nolan North and uh, Tr um, oh golly. I forgot his name. It's Trey something. Wow. Okay. I was just completely out of mental block. But like Nolan North uh, has been pretty prominent. And he usually does a lot of the same games. And they're they're actually both in this upcoming Avengers game. Um, man, I cannot think of it. It's Nolan North. And they, they do even a, a YouTube channel together. Oh. And I cannot think of his name. Uh, but have you got a chance to talk to them? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Um but uh, there, there's one named Steve Blum, the L-U-N. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got the world's record for voicing uh, characters in video games. Really? 
He's got the Guinness Book of World Record for that. Wow. But uh, he's probably best known um, from uh, Cowboy Bebop as Spike Spiegel. And he's also voiced uh, the Wolverine in uh, several X-Men cartoons. Yeah, he's probably one of the best Wolverine voices. Next to I still have a love for the uh, the 90s voice uh Cal something. Yeah. Uh from back in the 90s cuz he was just he was just great at it, but yeah, Steve Bloom when he stepped in as I think it was in the X-Men Evolution, I think the first time I remember hearing it was Wolverine, he's just he's just great. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, I, I believe he was he's Star Wars Rebels. Uh, he was he was oh, I not think of that character. Yeah, he's just got a great tone for those type of characters. I can't believe that I haven't heard him playing Batman anywhere yet. Oh no, everybody still wants Kevin Conroy. Yeah, I know, but it's it's fun to hear other people make a trip. Because Troy Baker, I remembered his name. Troy Baker's actually gotten to to voice Batman now a couple of times. That's right. So, and he's actually not bad. He's he he's got similarities to Kevin Conroy, but yet. Still his own take on the character a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's always good voices for Superman. I, I think two of my favorite voices is still, of course, uh, in the 90s. Um, now I forgot his name, too. Wow. He was on uh, Tim Daly, I believe. He was voiced Superman. Had a great voice for it. Uh, but then our, I've also got a Superman uh, movie. Uh, it was the first time I think they did a Doomsday uh, adaption, and they actually got to... Um, um, Wow, I'm just falling apart in my brains. Um, I can see him in my head, and I can't think of his name, but uh, I love him for being on Chuck. But he voiced Superman. was was a fantastic Superman, in my opinion. Sure. Um, Baldwin. I know his last name Baldwin, but he's not related to Alec or any of them. Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm having brain farts all over the place today. Oh, well. Quick, <laughs> change the subject. Take it around. <laughs> Yeah, there's 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 certain actors that are really great for all these you know superhero characters, and with DC now you know putting out all the effort of all these uh, straight to video movies, and now now of course with the streaming service, there's a lot of great actors I think getting a chance to play you know voice superheroes. So still oh. love Calvin Conroy; he's always going to be the best. But there are some yeah. other people that are do pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's. But I still have my favorites. Well, you're entitled. So there you yep. go. <laughs> I'm one of them weird people that I tell I tell people my still my favorite live action Joker is still Cesar Romero or Romero. Yeah, just his behavior was great, and I, I, I just, it might be because when I was a kid that was my Joker. You know, I remember watching that. Sure. So love Heath Ledger, love Jack Nicholson, but I'm always gonna love Cesar Romero just because I grew up watching him as the Joker, and that's where my impressions of him and his attitudes and the way he behaves came from. Well, I liked all the cast of uh, the Adam West Batman series. They were great in those roles. Yeah. And it almost you feel like you have to match some of that with some of the performance and voices. Because really, if you're not going to see the actor, best voice is still Mark Hamill for the Joker. Right. So. There you go. There you go. There's the people who are great in the live action, but there's people who their voice just captures so much. Because, you know, Kevin Conroy, he doesn't have the build to look like Batman, but you can't match his voice. Well, as far as I know, for the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, he's just going to be Bruce Wayne. That's it. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be like the older Bruce Wayne that from the Batman Beyond era of things. From from what I've been hearing, from Kingdom Come. Oh, the Kingdom Come setup. Yeah. Ooh. He's wearing an exosuit of some kind. Oh my goodness! See, I haven't even looked at a trailer. I just know it's coming. Yeah. I know I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm completely. I haven't watched Arrow or Flash in probably a year and a half now. 
but I have to watch this. <laughs> yeah, well, it starts on Supergirl this uh, coming Sunday. Oh my, I better just go ahead and set the DVR then. And then part two will be on Batwoman, and that's where Kevin will make his appearance. Nice. Yeah. And I haven't watched a single episode of Batwoman, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I was all in with all the CW shows, but it got to be there was just too many. I didn't have time to keep up on them. And uh, a big crossover event, they had, um, oh, see, Crisis on Infinite Earths is the one they're about to put out. But there was another crisis event thing that was named off of a, another event that Elseworlds. it just got. Hmm? Elseworlds. And I think it was even before Elseworlds was done. Oh, okay. I just remember there was a big fight because they're, uh, oh, one of the characters was getting married. And they had a big fight in the church, and it just got too, too ridiculous. It was worse than Stormtroopers because yeah. a guy would have a gun right on somebody and either wouldn't pull the trigger or would still just completely miss. And I was like, okay, you guys have lost all believability here. And I was just like, you know, I'm out. I'm out. Because the writing had gotten bad for a while. But I hear they've, uh, they've really stepped up here in the last couple seasons, and it's gotten a lot better. Well, fingers crossed. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I have a hard time staying interested. I'm a Marvel guy. I can't help it. I always have been. But I do like some DC characters. Sure. So I, I have a pretty good collection. of. I was starting to get into reading some Superman again. Because Superman is one of those characters that it's really hard to write him. But when they get a good writer writing Superman, it's amazing. Yes. Absolutely. So, because well, you got to like Superman. <laughs> sure. Well, you're going to get two so. Superman uh, in this. Yeah, Dean Cain apparently coming back. It's too bad we don't have Christopher Reeve anymore to make an appearance. Yeah. Actually, That'd be great. Superman, Dean Wellens is reprising his role as Clark Kent. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this was probably an idea they've been building for. I know they probably wanted to do this from the beginning. <laughs> it's like, let's get every actor we can together that has ever played one of these roles. Yeah. They might even have a few surprise people that's going to show up. Maybe some people who've played a role in a movie will show up. I don't know. That'd be nice. I heard Linda Carter's going to be involved again and Burt Ward. Oh. Oh, man. There you this, I, I, I've got to totally DVR this thing. I'm watching it. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Burt Ward is one of those guys I have as a goal of getting on the show because I've heard if you get him, let him talk about his dog food product, he'll come on. So I need to make contact with him. I got to talk to Burt Ward. Sure, <laughs> that would be the greatest thing. Yeah, because you know that was that's that's the Batman I grew up with. So when I when I got a little older and the '89 Batman came out, I was really kind of weirded out because I was like, this is not the Batman that I grew up watching on Super Fans or watching on that old TV show. Sure. It was much darker, but mm. very cool. I after I got into it, and realized, oh well, that was more Batman the way he should be. So right, but yeah, I can end up, of course talking comic books for a while as well too. That's actually a project I have now at the new house. I bought some uh, some uh, bags and and some backings and uh, some new cases that I'm going to sort all my comic books and finally get everything in order with a decent backing, and then try to pick back up where I, where I left off on. Uh, a current run of Superman and Spider-Man, which I'm like a year behind on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Yep. Uh, but, uh, okay. So your book is available. I know you have a website. Yes, but uh, you can get it off of amazon.com. Just go under my name, W.R. Miller and uh, list uh, under the animated voice volumes one and volumes two. And of course the Star Wars historical source book is still available as well. Yeah, and you were going to make some other volumes of the Star Wars Historical Source book as well, weren't you? Yes, and that's in progress. Awesome. 
Because we know that took a lot of work for that one, too. I remember you telling us about uh, you were getting a lot of exclusive access to old newspaper articles and everything ever written on Star Wars. Yeah, I uh, actually interviewed Mark Pevers, who was uh, managed business affairs at Fox. And so he talked to me about the merchandising, arranging the merchandising deals for Star Wars. Nice. So that's exclusive for um, uh, volume two and several volumes beyond that, actually. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, because I think your first one you covered like a certain decades or certain yeah, years in that first 71 volume. One to nineteen seventy six, and then volume two is from January to June of seventy seven. So definitely something worth checking out if you're a Star Wars fan. fan. You you've just written about almost every topic that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, lots more to come. With lots more to come. Like I think I even said this last time. I was like, you're just looking to fill up an entire library with your books. Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, everybody, W.R. Bob Miller. And you're you're doing convention appearances and selling some books now, too. Yeah, I just attended one this last weekend, LostCon in um, Los Angeles. And that was nice. And I, I shared a booth with uh, Craig Miller. And I have to give him a plug for Craig Miller's new book, uh, Star Wars Memoirs. And that has just come out. Now, Craig uh, originated the Star Wars fan club, and he worked um, until The Empire Strikes Back. And he has lots of anecdotes, uh, behind-the-scenes stories on what happened on that movie and his involvement with it, as well as producing the Sesame Street segments with C-3PO and R2-D2. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So check out that book as well. And I'm going to have to track him down, I think, and have him on the show. Sure. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to be on your show. Oh, my goodness. Especially, we love talking Star Wars around here. Oh, <laughs> All right, well, thanks for coming on the show again. And remember, everybody, go on Amazon, look up W.R. Miller. Let's let's push his books into that number one t- spot, if we can. I appreciate you, that. It's been out for a little while now, so but I think we got enough people who can go and buy it. Okay, thank you so much, Jeremy. appreciate that. You are so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit patreon.com slash neverlandpodcast to donate to keeping the pixie dust alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello, everybody. This is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast. We love you. 
Neverland Podcast. We love you. Neverland Podcast. It's true. Neverland Podcast. We love you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.